I like being out of my comfort zone. Um, so, so I would just recommend take a leap of faith. What's the worst that's going to happen? So it doesn't work out. And then you're still yourself. You've still been successful before. You're going to gain your groove back and just move on. Welcome to No Limits. I'm Rebecca Jarvis. Each week, we're talking to women playing at the top of their game. So how are they doing it? Whether you're looking for answers or you just want to hear a good story, you're in the right place. Julia Stain, welcome to No Limits. Thank you for having me. We're very excited to be in New York with Maven today. I'm so excited to talk to you about Maven, the future of driving, mobility, cars. But I want to start a little bit with your backstory um, because it's it's fascinating to me. You You grew up in Russia. That's correct. I'm long way from home. What did you think as a child? Did you ever envision yourself running a new company? No. I grew up playing the piano, and so that's how I came to the United States to be a concert pianist. And um, one thing leads to another, and I was always good at math, and that led me to the career in business. And now I am on the forefront of a lot of changes in the automotive world, and I couldn't be happier. So you played piano as a child. You came to the United States. You went to Oberlin. You went to the University of Chicago for your MBA, which is where I went undergrad for economics. So awesome. I, I love have that a, school. <laughs> I have a lot of respect because I know it's not an easy school. No. There's no easy A's at the University of Chicago. No. Uh, so when you went to business school, did you have it in your mind? Did you know at that time what you were going to use the business degree to do? I really wanted to come and work on Wall Street. And I couldn't have thought of a better platform to do that at the University of Chicago. And my dream has always been to work at Goldman Sachs. So I've never applied to anybody else. And I just came to Goldman Sachs. I was fortunate to have amazing career there. And um, now I'm fortunate to work for the clients of Goldman Sachs. (laughs) What was it like that decision? Because I started out in investment banking um, before I went into journalism. What was that decision like to leave Goldman Sachs, which carries a lot of weight, has a lot of cachet, and go outside of that world and go into the business world. What transpired it uh, in me was the desire to lead the change and really own the change from the beginning to the end, mistakes and all. And uh, my first transition was to a a client of mine, Alcoa, and um, I had fantastic time really, really hitting the ground running and um, working as a principal in the company. So it sounds like in investment banking or in any kind of banking situation, you're giving advice to a client, you're helping them with their financing, whether it's their debt or their equity financing, but you're not inside the company. You're not doing the daily things that you would do inside a company. And it sounds like you just wanted to have that more hands-on approach, test that out, see what you could do if you were actually inside of one of these companies. You are absolutely right. As an investment banker, you're part of the most important decisions that companies make. And that was exciting for me for many years. And then I wanted to be the one making the decisions at some point. And um, that's what led me to my new career path. I would imagine that along the way, you were one of few women. Did you ever think about that? Did you did you acknowledge it? Was it acknowledged to you? 
I never focused on that. I really was more focused what value I contribute to any specific situation. And it really was irrespective of the gender. And I continue to be this way. Another thing that I always um, was interested in was to work with challenging and difficult people because they're the ones who are going to push you the hardest, tell you the truth, the way it is, the good and the bad. And that's what really shaped who I am. And uh, there's no shortage of really, really interesting and challenging people, neither (laughs) in Wall Street nor in automotive. So I'm very blessed. That's a really interesting perspective. I've never heard someone say it quite like that. So challenging people are your jam. You you go for the challenge. Absolutely. I love people to be straightforward and really aggressive in their opinions, because that's what moves the world forward. And in some respects, it also just cuts through a lot of things. You know, it, if someone's not straightforward, and it, it can be sometimes painful to hear the straightforward answer, but the people who play the games and aren't straightforward with what they really think, you could spend months working with them or even years and never get anywhere because they're not really telling you what they think. I absolutely agree with that point of view. And you should not be afraid to criticize yourself and hearing it from other people. Every time you have feedback, that's gold. That's somebody investing their emotions, their time, their energy into you. And so I've been always grateful. I would imagine that as a young pianist, there were definitely pressures there. That that might be the root of where you sort of figured it out, how to deal with that pressure and feedback that wasn't always pleasant. It's an interesting mixture to be on stage because a lot of the preparation to come for that moment in the performing arts is very internally focused. And you really are just alone with yourself. And then you bring that um, completely naked soul or whatever part of you that you are going to share with many people. And it needs to be happening in just one specific moment. It taught me a lot. It taught me a lot of discipline. And um, again, I think also music is highly related on your ability to recognize patterns. So in my mind, that's what sort of linked it to math. And in the business world, it just was exciting because every moment when um, it matters, you're really performing in a way and you need to be comfortable with yourself and what you're there to deliver. How do you get there? A lot of practice, a lot of errors, and a lot of honest feedback to yourself what you can do better. You sound like somebody who might be a bit of a perfectionist. Am I wrong? No, you're not. I am a perfectionist, (laughs) and I demand the same from the team. But if you don't, you need to set the standards high, and people will deliver. I have so much faith in everybody that I work with that every day they come, they bring their best, and they want to bring their best. The enthusiasm, that cannot be taught. You can teach a lot of new professions, new industries, new tricks of the trade, but the raw enthusiasm and desire to win, that cannot be taught. Which sounds like it was always a part of you. How did you get comfortable with learning from your mistakes and making a mistake, sometimes in a very public way? You really need to have courage to look at the mistakes and why they happen and what you can do better and then make a plan. And then the next time you're going to learn something new. I'm not a big fan of repeating the same mistakes over and over, but I'm sure excited to learn. So let's talk about mobility and Maven. You climbed your way up inside of General Motors, uh, worked in the company for a number of years. Now your focus is on Maven. Talk about first off what that is. 
Maven is um, a new brand within General Motors, uh, and it's focused on urban mobility. So at Maven, we created a platform that um, spans um, focusing on the car sharing and also supplying the vehicles to the drivers who do ride sharing and the package delivery. So we have both the business-to-business and the business-to-consumer. We want to provide access to mobility in the new and elevated way, um, again, through the device that everybody always interacts with, like your phone, and um, and get you to experience life as uh, you should instead of being trapped in the city all the time. So in some respects, it sounds somewhat similar to a car rental or maybe Zipcar. How is it different? We differentiate on multitude of factors. Uh, first and foremost, um, with GM as our partner and our parent, we get to really be thoughtful how we engineer the technology between the phone, how, again, all of our customers who are 78% millennials interact with the service, and also the vehicle itself. So the only thing you need to do is sign up for the service, and your phone is uh, your key fob and the entrance to the car. So it's that simple. How did you think through your decision? You were very senior inside of General Motors. How did you think through the decision of, okay, I'm going to, you're still inside of GM, but now you're running this startup. What was the mental calculus that you went through in making that decision? I have to admit that I struggled with us for for a little bit um, because, again, you know the traditional career path that you have within the company. And, again, I spend a lot of time on Wall Street and doing strategy and running sort of internal investment banking apparatus. But this became a new challenge because the dialogue within General Motors over the past um, five years has really dramatically changed. And as a person who was in charge of partnerships, um, I saw the world moving away from sort of the traditional which geographies we play in, how do we sort of leverage the cost of engineering among different partners to completely new entrants from Silicon Valley. And it was really exciting to me because because for the first time, automotive really truly meets um, the technology development uh, that is completely outside of uh, big scale manufacturing. And when I look in the future, both kind of have to come together for the consumer to really enjoy the fruits of um, uh, of that uh, outcome. And in spite of sort of reservations, what could it be to do a startup within GM? Just the opportunity was too exciting to pass up. And the team that um, we built, I come to work every day being excited what the day brings versus going and wondering, like, what is the world going to do to me? <laughs> the ability to create your own reality uh, through a startup is just amazing and so invigorating. And you also have that sort of uh, safety net, I guess, because General Motors is the parent of the whole thing. Well, the fundraising is a lot faster. I wouldn't say easier, <laughs> but, but more time efficient. But it's you raise a really interesting point because I think there are a lot of people right now in jobs where they might be on the traditional path. Whatever they thought 10 years ago, 20 years ago was the right successful path. And they're in this job where they're, you know, as far as their pedigree is concerned, they're checking off the right box. But the job itself and the world that it's in might be on a path, 
I don't know, we don't have to be as dramatic as extinction, but it's on a path that isn't necessarily going to be the future. And they're making this internal debate, this struggle within themselves of, okay, do I say, even though I'm in this great place, in this great company, I don't really know exactly what the future of that particular role holds. I also don't really know what the future of this new thing holds, but this new thing has a lot of upside, too. I'm very comfortable personally with the process of reinventing myself, and I think it's healthy for anybody to do, whether it's just looking at your private life or your corporate life. And I constantly want to learn. And uh, I think if you're sitting and uh, feeling that you're not learning something, um, it's very hard for me. I constantly want a new challenge. And um, I've been very fortunate that the life gave me those in spades, and I took advantage of every one of them. So if you're sitting in a place and you feel like you're not learning anymore, how much time do you give yourself before you take a leap of faith? I'm, um, as a person, not very patient. So I, for me, it's very quickly. If I don't come to work and I'm challenged or I get something new to do or I'm not p- meeting people that stimulate what comes next, uh, then I'm in the wrong place. I get become really antsy. But... Uh, Again, in my career, I was fortunate. I worked with amazing companies, with amazing people, and constantly somebody who pushed me into a different direction, again, out of my comfort zone. And I like being out of my comfort zone. Um, so so I would just recommend take a leap of faith. What's the worst that's going to happen? So it doesn't work out. And then you're still yourself. You've still been successful before. You're going to gain your groove back and just move on. What would be your dream then? My dream is to really make a difference in the industry and really play an important role in um, evolving what the future is. And I, I don't know, maybe it's after my son was born, like I put it in the perspective that I'm here to make his world better and different. And I want him to know that's what I contributed. So when he looks at me and gets excited what mommy did today, that's my definition of success. And what does that look like? What is that different world, the one that you're pushing towards? What is it? What's the vision? I don't think we've seen it yet. Like, I think we're doing step by step into the new arena of technology and the new way how people interact with each other, how people interact with the world, how we process information. So, again, we are part of writing that story. And what it ends up being, I think, is going to be the contribution of many factors and many people. I just dream that I'm one of them. How far away do you think we are from being in a world where most people don't own their cars, most people are doing something like Maven. There are going to be a variety of business models around um, mobility. And uh, I I am not ready to say that uh, car ownership is dead. And uh, I think, again, living in New York or Los Angeles or San Francisco gives you a 
different lens. The demand for services and the consumers to consume transportation in the context of an urban environment is very different uh, vis-a-vis Ohio in the middle of um, of the farmland. So I think there's definitely future for both for a while. And then again, it's going to amend and change. And we just need to change as fast as the consumers do. And that's what Maven is all about. So in that world, the the old world of you're basically designing a car, building a car versus now you're looking at all of these different needs. How do those two worlds look? I mean, how does this world look five years from now? I've accepted the Maven's challenge um, because I have a nine-year-old son, and I firmly believe he'll never get a driver's license. So I'm that confident that things will change, especially in the urban environment. No driver's license. No driver's license. And you live here in New York City. My family lives in New York City. So um, it's going to be a variety of uh, experiences. And um, again, building the capabilities of running your own fleet. So Maven is now one of the fastest growing mobility brands in North America. And I'm very, very proud of the team that delivered it. How big is that team? Close to 100. We've been growing like crazy and um, because we see the demand for it. And the team that we've built is um, incredible because by organizing Maven and doing a startup with an established company, we attract an amazing amount of talent. And what's interesting to me that it's the mixture of the people who worked at General Motors for years, 20, 30 years, who are incredibly entrepreneurial and now can channel that knowledge. They've been on the cutting edge of either design or technology for a long time. So to channel all that energy into the new space is just amazing to see. And then we get people from outside, from Google, from Starbucks, from uh, Zipcar Enterprise, who bring completely different mindset into everything we do. So the robust, robust dialogue among the team is just incredible. How do you manage that? I just get out of their way. (laughs) (laughs) Because the team is capable of doing so much. And for me, the biggest um, thing that I feel is important is prioritize where we spend the energy and resources um, because we can do a lot of different things. That's one of the hardest things for anybody in any kind of startup or really running any kind of business. Where do you prioritize? For me, with Maven, my key goal is um, to, again, develop the core capabilities that will take GM into the future. And, again, on the basis of technology, so it's technology, it's the brand, it's, again, the operations on the ground that are different from what the company has had before. So this is the core. That's uh, all the energy needs to be in the capability development. And then the products, they naturally come from that if you're listening to your customer. And uh, we do, because we talk to our customers several times a day and on social media. And, and it's really exciting to have that dialogue that, again, for an automotive company, that's very different. How long do you give an idea before deciding to move on from it? I think things actually that are not meant to manifest in a big way, they show that very early. So again, if we don't see that the customers are willing to take a service or like certain cars in a certain um, um, spots never get used, you just pivot. You don't sit there for six months waiting for miracles to happen. It just means you need to be more adaptable. 
that's one of the beauties of doing a startup versus a large company where a lot of the time it's harder to adapt. It's harder to move on a dime like that. I'm very privileged that GM, as our parent and partner, allows us to do these things. And frankly, you also need to have a certain level of commercial engagement um, because in the pilot, if you do something in your parking lot, you don't get the same learnings um, unless you take it for a real run. And that's what we've done with Maven in the past 18 months. What's been the toughest lesson for you to learn along the way? It's a it's a hard one because, again, we get so many learnings. But I think being comfortable with the new audiences and new customers, whether it's interacting with um, uh, young folks who perceive life differently, and they now teach me a world lesson of um, a sort of how things uh, got to be and having that passion that I need to look in the world through different eyes or Understanding technology, which is getting more and more complicated and how you sort of boil it down to simple things that you need to pursue. I just look at all of that as a challenge and not as kind of a negative thing. And if I don't get sort of the curveballs out there, then I feel like we're probably not pushing the envelope enough. So every day there is something new. And if there isn't, then why the hell you're doing this? <laughs> totally agree with you there. What's the worst advice you've gotten along the way? Worst advice that I think I've heard, and I, you know, honestly, I, I haven't really um, heard it that recently, um, but um, stick to what you know. And I hear that a lot. It's like, okay, like stay in your swim lane, stick to what you know, because that's comfortable. I think it's just completely wrong. Look, be passionate and be knowledgeable in what you contribute, but definitely branch and learn new things. Because if you're going to stick to what you know, you're going to make yourself extinct. That's for sure. Such a great point. Julia, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you. I really enjoyed it. Likewise. And now for this week's No Limits Entrepreneur. I met Andrea Mildgard about a month ago while I was in Stockholm, Sweden, and she started to tell me about the agency that she co-founded with three other women called Frank. It's a creative consultancy with a mission to bring more empathy into the business world and demonstrate the value of feminine leadership. She and her co-founders started the agency this year as a final project for their digital business program and decided to stick with it. Frank offers digital strategy, concept development, and design solutions to companies in need of an outside perspective and inspiration. So far, they've worked with companies like Airbnb, Adidas, and Nivea. Not a bad list of companies to be working with. Andrea, I wish you the best of luck. I'm so excited we have listeners in Sweden. And if you want to be featured as a No Limits entrepreneur, send us your nominations to no limits with RJ Podcast at gmail.com. Thanks so much for listening to another episode of No Limits. If you like what you heard, please make sure to leave us a review. It really does help get the word out. And don't forget, you can follow along with us behind the scenes on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and Snapchat at Rebecca Jarvis. Special thanks to the team here at ABC that helps make this happen. Taylor Dunn, Michelle Bancardo, Josh Cohan, Andrew Kelb, Steve Jones, Annie Osakwe, and Elizabeth Hecht. And join me next Tuesday for an all-new episode of No Limits with Rebecca Jarvis. Until then, take care, be well.
Hey, I'm Andy Mitchell, a New York Times bestselling author. And I'm Sabrina Kohlberg, a morning television producer. We're moms of toddlers and best friends of 20 years. And we both love to talk about being parents, yes, but also pop culture. So we're combining our two interests by talking to celebrities, writers, and fellow scholars of TV and movies. Cinema, really. About what we all can learn from the fictional moms we love to watch. From ABC Audio and Good Morning America, Pop Culture Moms is out now wherever you listen to podcasts.